I feel so zen. Dude, I, I'm glad that we ended on that because that's a good way to go into the rest of our day. You guys just don't even know what's coming with this episode. I don't think you're ever in your entire TMV experience are ever going to hear Meadow and I be this quiet. Yeah, truly. Honestly, until he comes back. Yeah, like, whoa. And you can tell me you're a motivational speaker or like not even he's not even a motivational speaker, but you know what I mean? Like a public speaker without <laughs> totally. telling me you're a public speaker like that. Everything that came out of this man's mouth of our guest's mouth today, like in my head, I'm like, oh, that's quotable. That's quotable. That's exactly. quotable. Like, and it's authentic. It's not. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So Jesse and I met a year ago, almost to the date for doing a hotline takeover on when I used to run the local optimist, Mad Happy's mental health resource line. He came and did a takeover and taught our community about meditation and I left that with your same feeling because that was the first time I had met him. And I left being like, he's so authentic. He's a, such an authentic leader, I guess is the best way to say that. Like he really mm-hmm. does lead from like life experience and examples and is so. Um, it's an inviting sort of gentle kindness. And he doesn't make you feel like his opinions are fact. No. He, you know what I mean? He makes you feel like this is so grounded in my experience and what I see, but for every single person, it's different. Okay, Meta, like hit, us, so hit, us, hit us with the bio. So okay, let's hit you with the bio to introduce who he Mr. actually is. Mr. Jesse Israel. Please meet Jesse Israel, our favorite person on the planet. Besides <laughs> casually just going on tour with Oprah and being an incredible meditation leader, he had a background as a former record label executive. He worked with MGMT and Jizza from Wu-Tang Clan and was just a bad bitch in music. And kind of went through his own experiences that led him to meditation and ended up, he's a very big community builder. He's been building communities his whole life and ended up starting the Medi Club and his program called The Big Quiet, which is a mass meditation movement. So he would do things at big public spaces or big arenas with thousands of people and guide everyone in a mass meditation movement. Oh, there she goes. Mahal is chiming in. So he's a meditation leader and he's been on tour with Oprah and he's fabulous and he's incredible. And he not only, we had so many plans for this conversation and we We asked maybe one question that we had thought, which is our style, honestly, like we rather go with the flow of a conversation, but I have to say it was really beautiful and unique to hear him talk about after finding this, one of his biggest successes and biggest times in his career how COVID turned everything on his head and he had to go through his own internal change and his own internal search for self-worth and his, his unpacking identity was and so work. generously vulnerable. Exactly. Wasn't and it? And it just reminds you of how you never really know what's going on in people's lives. And even mm-hmm. thought leaders and people that are at the forefront of movements are also still humans that are still learning too. Absolutely. And oh, he's gosh, so we generous so with that much. perspective. We talked about what he's unpacking, which just wait until you hear all about it. But it's about self-doubt and refinding that self-love and almost having that like rebirth within yourself yeah. to trust yourself. We talked about manifesting. Manifucking yourself. Manifucking yourself, which is a phrase <laughs> that I'm going to fucking tattoo on my forehead. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we are fully stealing that from Jesse from now on. <laughs> oh my God, We hit so many valuable points and I know that I felt so validated and heard throughout the conversation and I really feel like you all will too and that's sort of like the concept of what he talks about is like finding that community of people who also are feeling similar to you and it like helps you feel less lonely even if you're like physically lonely you know what I mean with like Mm -hmm. you physically don't have that many people around you it's that beauty and finding the people who not only get you but it's you're on the same journey of wanting to 
mm-hmm. better yourself and wanting to be more in tune with yourself and with having that self-love. And honestly, in the spirit of all those lessons and him reminding us that, can I just say, go fucking us? Because our group chat and our community of just people, mm. whoever's here listening. I know right I was now, like, thinking about I know we're Discord. so small, but we're so mighty. And like, we're really beautiful. And we we have like 25 of the coolest people in a little Discord that we are just like supportive and around and answering questions and just talking about what we're going through in real time and not even solving each other's problems, but just to air them out and be somewhere together. And it, it I just want people to be reminded of like, no matter how small or big or whatever that looks like. I mean, Jesse will remind you of this the entire episode too, how profoundly impactful that is. And at the end of the day, that's what life is all about. Retweet. Just being human. Okay. We're not even going to tell you anymore because you guys need yeah, to listen to this episode. That's enough. Enjoy Thank you so our much, interview. Jesse. We oh love my gosh. You. Thank you, Jesse. Enjoy the, enjoy the conversation. Oh, and stay tuned for the end because Jesse guides us in a 90-second big quiet mass meditation. So you can all meditate along with us in the end. And then if you're interested in learning more about meditation from him, he has a couple more examples on YouTube I'm going to link. I'm going to link the big quiet and signups for their next class are in April. Our show and notes are going to be stacked. So our check show, out the, the show notes. notes will be stacked. So just make sure check you check out the reading. show notes. All right, team. Enjoy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It oh, like shows was... us the low quality version, so it'll upload the better one later. Yours is still very, very YouTuber pro quality. It's very good. I told you my. I gotta start she... wearing makeup when we do these because everyone always <laughs> says how clear they can see me. You guys are so blurry for me. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Well, you look great. You can look at Mahal in the background later. Oh yeah, Jesse, and that uh, one other housekeeping thing. If my dog starts barking, I'm so sorry. I have a puppy and she's asleep next to me but she's also a terror oh she's like a little, a little she likes yeah, to chime such in such a little nugget but she yeah she does like to speak up so okay cool i hope to meet her just in case she'll 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 definitely make herself known oh 110 mahal's gonna make herself known are you kidding me Mahal's. Oh, do Mahal. you want to explain to jesse our unpacking because i don't even think we yes about that okay too. so we start all of our episodes by unpacking something that we're currently going through and we would love our guests to participate in that but meadow and i mm. go first since we normally don't warn people about it so we just give you a little warm-up so i can start so and it can, can like... be like as as heavy as light mm-hmm. as in-depth as casual as you want it's just like our way to show people what we're still learning in real time like literally our guest last week teffy was like i haven't taken a shit in front of my new boyfriend like that was yeah. her unpacking yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, there's no there's no rules here <laughs> there's, there's no there's no rules you can you can talk about whatever you want but my unpacking this week actually relates to you so full circle moment where you've talked a lot about the concept of when you're speaking from either like the scar or the wound. And I think that's a concept that's really interesting and I would love for you to describe it a little bit more. But last week we had a whole episode where we were talking a lot about sex and like healthy sex after trauma. And sometimes I always tell Meadow, like I forget that we're recording and I feel like I'm just on a phone call with her. Yeah. And I really have to like actively monitor myself sometimes because I feel like this is such a safe space since it goes out into the internet and you don't like see who's watching, you know, you don't see who's listening. And we finished the recording and I said things on the podcast that I told Meadow previously, like I'm never talking about this on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And we finished recording and I was like, you know what? I feel good about it. It's fine. And I woke up the next day. I was like hysterical. And I like called Meadow and I sent her like all the new timestamps. And I was like, you need to cut this entire thing out because I can't, I can't do it. And I realized I was like, 
I'm not in a place yet where I feel safe talking about this. I'm not in a place where I feel comfortable talking about this Mm -hmm. and that's okay. I think with this podcast, sometimes I forget the concept that like I don't owe listeners really anything like as harsh as that kind of sounds like I love you please keep listening whoever's listening to this right now (laughs) but like at the end of the day it's still like our health and safety kind of come first Right. And, and so it also the- goes back to remember that one time we talked about is trauma our brand and mm-hmm. like when you talk about mental health so much for work and then always sharing from things that are healed how does that come off in like an advocacy term and wanting people to feel safe and included and learn in real time as well like it's so it's it's well it's yeah layered I mean you yeah. and I Meadow and I always joke that people think that we're opening up to them because we talk so easily about our quote unquote trauma, but it's realistically things that we're so disassociated from at this point that it's just like talking about like what our favorite color is, but we're not actually talking about anything that we're currently going through. And that was sort of the point of the segment, by the way, is to kind of get us to open up and peel back another layer a little bit more. But yeah, I think that's what I've been really thinking about is sort of coming to terms and being okay with the fact that I don't need to be this like naked and afraid person mm. all the time mm-hmm. we can that have boundaries we can have boundaries that's a new first I went, I went through that I went, i've been through that exact same process too oh yeah yeah i don't know if now's the time where we speak about that oh yes go ahead, go ahead. Say i can relate to that oh you you could speak on it if you want to when we when we first started, like, you know, the Big Quiet was born out of this thing called MediClub, these, these group yeah. meetups, meditation and like talk circles in New York. And um, we did it before the pandemic. It was every month for like five years. Now it's just coming back. Actually, it's coming back on Wednesday in New York City. But, um, but ev- for every month for until I stopped running it, which was for about four months straight, for, for about four years straight every month, I would more or less get up in front of a, a group of two or three hundred people and and give a share and i was aware of the fact that if i modeled vulnerability mm-hmm. then other people were more likely to be vulnerable in their little group breakout shares mm-hmm. so sometimes i was i and this is this is different than what you're saying g but sometimes i would just push myself to be vulnerable for the so people could have uh permission to be vulnerable but it, i would push myself with stuff i wasn't ready to share mm-hmm. and and then I ha- and I had to catch myself and be like, look, it's it's never worth pushing myself when I'm not really ready to go there just for the sake of other people. If it's going to ultimately harm me, or if I'm going to feel like I'm not really ready, if the sc- scar isn't formed to go there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned start, that experience the hard way. Did that start by like catching it after the fact a couple times to then learn your warning signs for what was a scar versus what was a wound, or like how have you been able to develop that sense for yourself? Um, the biggest, like I have a pretty straightforward system for it. And it's just like, it's really what it boils down to is, am I able to look at this experience as a gift and are the learnings clear? Mm. If once that's the case, then I'm ready to share it. Oh, that's that's, such a good question. If it's not there yet, if I'm not able to, to point to that, then I'm not ready to share it publicly. It's still in wound. It's still in wound mode. That's such a good gut check for people to practice. Such a good gut check. I was talking to Meadow yeah. about this and she goes, what if it's a scab? Yeah. I was like, what if my scab's about to fall off? Like, what if I, like, I don't know. And then it's kind of raw and pink underneath, but like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, where's that level of like vulnerability enough that you want to lead by example? Like, cause that's the thing we always want to mm-hmm. do is, especially with mental health advocacy work. I always feel like 
that vulnerability and that storytelling piece, you could tell people, you could bang people over the head with statistics. One in five person has had serious mental illness for years now. Like no one cares. That's everyone in this room, however many people listening. But when you do those vulnerability share moments, that's where this like empathy and change comes from. And that translates into policies. I don't know. It's such a slippery slope in my head that right. I, I can quickly overthink that. Yeah. But that gut well, check is so important because if you don't hold those boundaries for yourself, you can't have the like energetic space to do that work, I guess. Yeah. You know, and w- the other piece of it is that one, once we start exploring vulnerable leadership, right, which I would say mm. when we're sharing vulnerably about our lived experiences to really like empower other people to realize how their lived experiences are really actually critical and important to forming them into the people that they are. Right. When we when we when we share and lead vulnerably, um, we can we start to get a sense of how powerful it is because it creates a sense of belonging. Other people hear us talking about our lived experience. And they go, oh, my God, me, too. It gets yeah. normalized and validated. There's something really intoxicating about that, too. Yeah. yeah. It's really nerve wracking. And then we go and we share our truth and we mm-hmm. see how it lights up other people. Mm-hmm. And. I've definitely become very aware of how effective it is to vulnerably share. And sometimes in the past, and probably some, I'll probably still do it every now and then too. I will lean into that simply because I know it'll impact people. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes more so than what I'm ready to really go and do because I know that it'll get that reaction out of people. And I'm aware of it too yeah. on social media. Like I know that yeah. if I if I like muster up the time and the energy and I, and, I, and I feel ready to share vulnerably and, and post that on social media, I am going to get more likes. I am going to get more engagement. It is going to oftentimes help more people. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of the power in it. But sometimes the intoxicating nature of that and like having the self-awareness to know that that's the case will push me to do it when I don't actually really need to or I'm not quite ready to. And I try to that, catch myself on that too. And we see that a lot on social media, I think. How do that you... Was, go ahead, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, how do you separate that? This is something that I struggle with a lot. How do you separate that feeling from the feeling of weakness? Of like vulnerability? Sh- yeah. Um, I just saw I saw Meadow's face looking like she was about to go, but <laughs> I was I I have some thoughts, but I was trying I'm really trying hard. I'm the worst interrupter in the world, Jesse. I'm trying really hard. We so realized that on Zencaster you can raise your Look hand. I and do. I was like, Meadow, that's for you. That's, that's meant for you. <laughs> I need this feature because I'm such a bad interrupter. Yeah. Go, um, you go first though. Well, I wanna I wanna go back to what you're about to say, Meadow. But okay. so in in regards to so G, just so I understand the line between vulnerable share or being vulnerable as something that's courageous versus something that's weak. No, of, of separating when you, of sort of mistaking it, of making it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes like for people like me who, I don't know, we walk around with like a big shield oftentimes. And then whenever you start to share, you feel like it's misconstrued as weakness, even though it might not be. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? So it's like kind of helping people, to sort of cut that association between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, the, I, I always remind myself of something. Well, first of all, I always I always put to practice the thing that I just said. A- am I at a point where I can see that this was a gift or what the, what was the gift in this experience? What were my learnings? If that's mm-hmm. there, then I know that someone will get value out of my learnings from the experience mm-hmm. and I'm ready to share it. Mm-hmm. And that's usually enough for me. If, if this, if, if sharing this thing, if I'm at a place where it's at the scar place, not the wound, and I have my learnings or my gifts in place and I share it, 
then I know that at least one person is going to, is going to, is going to receive value from that. And that to me is important and it's, and it's a way for other people to access their power. So I put my faith into, into knowing that that's the case. And then for people that it doesn't click with, or if you get that vulnerability hangover, you know, that feeling Sounds oh, yeah. like you had a G the other day. Oh yeah. Um, I'm able to kind of breathe through it more knowing that, all right, I learned something from this. I'm shared, I've shared it. And I know that someone else is going to get value out of, out of this. That makes it an act of courage and an important thing for me to go and do. So if I can go back to the place of service around it, knowing that it's, it's going to help at least one person that takes me out of it. If, if it's, if it's, if I'm feeling that weakness piece or that kind of discomfort, it's usually because I'm really focused on, is this going to make me look a certain way? Or is this going to make me look bad or weak or, you know, not as masculine, and it's easy to go there when we're vulnerable, especially, I, I mean, I think for all people, but I think especially for men. Um, yeah. But if I can flip it to actually, will this help people in some way, then I can get regrounded in it. Yeah. Okay. This leads perfectly to my unpacking. And I'm just realizing, I wonder, maybe I'm projecting, but you, you might have a similar experience. So because a, a lot of the times what I unpack in the background of my life, when we're sharing all these vulnerabilities on social media, is the fact that I went from direct service work for 10 years of just like community programs and mental health service and running a homeless clubhouse and that like really active engagement community to the more advocacy destigmatization driven sharing on the internet and I feel like you've done like the small community formations and you've done the big picture stuff and I always struggle I know there's different ways to help others and there's different ways to do advocacy and support work and that's where this piece comes in of not feeling like a weakness, like knowing you're helping others. But because my past is so grounded in that face-to-face, sharing online, to me, I don't feel like it's a weakness. I feel arrogant. And I'm like, mm. oh, I'm talking about myself so much. Like, oh, I'm just like monetizing this or I'm I'm trying to get those likes from this because I know what actually sitting in front of someone that's suicidal and helping them through that looks like. And how come me just talking about it on the internet, does that really do the same thing or not? So I... I have like a different interpretation of that. I wonder if you've ever felt the same with your like trajectory of MediClub and the like the Burger Boys and that smaller communities to this like mass meditation, bigger scale movements. Definitely. And Definitely, I, yeah. I, ju- I just go back to what I said previously, which is, yeah. is me sharing this experience or this learning through this challenging experience, does this have the potential to help someone else? Mm-hmm. If it if the answer is yes, then I share it. And it doesn't matter in what form that is, because helping is helping. As long as as long as I'm at a place where I where I feel like it like the wound has scarred over, right? As long right. as I'm in that place where I feel like I'm I, I'm grounded enough in the experience to speak about the learnings and the gift, right? Then then yes, when I'm too raw, when the wound is when it's still in a scab form, or when the wound is you know still healing. Mm-hmm. If I share in that place when I'm not totally clear about the learning and I'm not totally clear about like what this has really gifted me, then what can happen is it can flip the listener into or the audience or the follower on social media into a place of, oh, I'm concerned for this person. It's a very mm-hmm. different energy. Mm-hmm. And that's not for public. You know, right. when, when the wound is still healing, that's for one-on-ones with friends. That's mm-hmm. for family members, therapists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
as long as I feel like I'm really rooted in where I'm at with the experience and I turn on that, I put on my service bucket, then I'm like, this is something to be shared. Yeah. That's such a good reframing. I feel like you have such um, clear boundaries with the way that you share. Thanks. I mean, I've, I've, like I, like I mentioned earlier, like I've, I've, I'm still exploring the boundaries and they've become clearer the more I've done it. Are boundaries your strong suit in other aspects besides work? I'm pretty good with boundaries. Yeah. 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 They're important <laughs> I was to like, me. Can't and... I could learn that from you. I was like, could you, yeah, I can't relate. No clue what that's like, but I admire I got, it. <laughs> I got to spend, I got to spend time with the great Brene Brown familiar with her. Shut of course y'all, of course y'all are. Of course. Um, <laughs> um and uh, I was, it was like a group, it was like a group of us in this uh, program. Was Oprah in the group? No. I'm just, I'm just name dropping <laughs> for you now. <laughs> it was sick though. You, you, you two would have found it really interesting. It was actually, it was through Harvard's Divinity School program. They had this leadership program where they brought together people who are building communities. Half of the group was religious leaders, Whoa. like pastors and rabbis and imams. And then half the group, were secular community leaders like myself. Wow. And we just were learning from each other That's because incredible. religion is, is becoming so confused and um, yeah. affiliation is dropping significantly, especially with our generation, oh, yeah. younger mm -hmm. generation. So were you raised religiously or do you identify was, with religion? Yeah, I was, I was raised, I, I was, I was raised as a Jew and I still identify as a Jew, but I, I, I um, yeah, I still identify as a Jew, Yeah, but, um, so anyways, we were at this thing where we're all learning from each other. It was incredible. But um, they, we got to spend Friday night of this trip with Brene Brown. And she was sharing with us about um, a bunch of research that her and her, her, her and her research team, she has a huge research team yeah. that, they were, um, that they were looking at. And they were looking at uh, leaders, community leaders, as well as business leaders and CEOs and executives. And what she saw was that the most compassionate leaders all had one thing in common. Any idea what it is? Vulnerability. Ooh, no. boundary, boundaries. Boundaries? Yeah, clear, communicated boundaries. See, I can't even think of the answer. <laughs> it would never occur to me that boundaries are the answer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn. And the reason why, if you think that about is it, so is, cool. The reason why, if you think about it, when we clearly, communicate our boundaries to other people we are then preventing resentment to form <laughs> yeah it's and without true. resentment yeah. we can be more compassionate absolutely that, that is and so if we, true and I think for a lot of us we don't want to commute we don't want to communicate boundaries because we're afraid of hurting another person mm -hmm. we don't want to be seen a certain way right mm -hmm. totally anal or you know an asshole or bitch mm -hmm. whatever you know whatever words we might feel concern around. Um, and, um, but the truth is that little sting that can occur when we, when we present a boundary ultimately builds respect with the other person. And if and somebody for, for sure, for, for yeah. sure with ourselves too, good call. And what I find is that if somebody is, if somebody doesn't honor that boundary or is offended by the boundary, when it's genuinely coming from that place of this is what I need to do for myself, then that person, then it, then it means I need to reconsider my, my relationship with that person. 
Yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. People here, we always get questions about boundaries, particularly either in friendships or work situations or even with our family members. And like that line that you just said is so important. And I always try and remind myself of that. Of like, they're not respecting it. It's not, there's something else we need to reevaluate here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Jesse, what are you unpacking? Um, well, I had like a, I had a, a pretty um, intense 2021. I know a lot of us did. Mm. But um, I'm coming out of this like really important and challenging period. Uh, I'll give you my I'll give you my quick version of it because it's a pretty big unpack that I'm in right now. But I'll give you the quick version, which is that going into the pandemic, actually the first the first ten weeks of 2022. Oh, sorry, the first ten weeks of 2020. Um, I was having this you know career peak experience being on tour with Oprah. And guiding these big, quiet meditations and, you know, arenas and stadiums of people's pretty incredible experience. And I came off of that tour just feeling like the fucking meditation man. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because I was doing the work that I feel like I'm on this earth to do. And it was being received in a beautiful way. And I felt like it was helping people. And then literally four days after our last tour stop, the pandemic lockdown kicked in. Oh my all my work got canceled, which I know is true for a lot of people. And all of a sudden I'm leaving my parents. I was like, treated as A-list talent on this Oprah tour, being flown around all these incredible arenas. And I'm now living with my parents, which is actually a beautiful shift. I luckily have a really nice dynamic with my parents. But for the first couple of months of that, I was like, oh, it's all good. This shit's going to work out. You know, like it always does. And I was, you know, saying all positive. Then by the third month, I was a fucking mess. I was just like, I was at my peak. And all of a sudden, all my work is canceled. I'd never done any virtual shit before. And I was like, what do I do? I was all freaked out. And you know, everything and was you're resetting. you're such an energetic me. person. You know what I mean? Like huh? I could tell you're such an in-person energetic person. I feel yes. Like. Yeah. I love in person. Yeah. Up to that point for the five years I've been doing the work, you know, through the big quiet, my work with meditation beyond was only in, I'd never done anything right. virtual except for like podcasts, which were usually actually in person, almost always anyways. Wow. Yeah. But, um, so anyways, it was just like this kind of like identity shift. And I started to get back on my feet and like figuring out this new way that I was going to show up and be able to help people. And then as 2021 kicks in, I moved into this, uh, this home in the canals in Venice. I got this great deal, this COVID special and was all stoked. Had a little canoe in the backyard and shit. I was fired up and, and, um, I wound up moving into a place with black mold and I got super sick. It was, <gasps> it was too that good to be true. That happened to someone else I knew in LA. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How long did it take you to realize? Um, it took me about five weeks. Um, you were I, sick and started looking around or? Yeah, I had, I had, I, like, there was a bunch of weird shit going on. Like the, no. the, there was physical stuff, right? Like I had like this chest infection that wouldn't go away and like just, you know, weird kind of cough, wheezy, this kind of shit. But actually what yeah. was most challenging for me was for, for, for about a third or a fourth of the population, um, it's challenging to detox, toxic, to, to release toxic mold from the system. About three out of every four people, it's still bad for you, but they won't really have noticeable symptoms, but mm. about one in four people, the symptoms are really bad. So for me, I was, I think I fell into that, into that group. And Damn. the, um, the big thing that I was experiencing was it, it, um, starts to mess with your cognitive function. Oh, so fuck. I'm like getting back on my feet, oh. ready to like start doing my virtual thing. I signed with CAA. I'm doing all these yeah. public talks, like 
these huge 35,000 people virtual groups. I'm like, yeah. I'm getting back in my group. And then I'm, I'm, my brain is, isn't functioning. I'm forgetting what I'm saying when I'm talking, I'm losing my train of thought while I'm guiding meditations. And mm. I looked so sick and I'm doing these, oh. all these virtual sessions where I, you know, you know, you know, like we're doing right now, you see yourself while you're talking this is a pretty new phenomenon for us. So I'm doing yeah. these talks about wellness while I look so unwell and oh. I just started to pull back and I was, I had a lot of it in my system. And I'm moving, I'm, I'm staying in hotels and Airbnbs and, every, you know, I, I, I reached this point by like the summer of last year where I was so in my head, I couldn't tell if I was getting sick from my environment or if I was right. creating this in my mind. Right. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you know, this guy who helps people get out of their heads through my meditation work. And I'm like, so stuck in mind. So yeah. at this point, I was really pulling back from, I was really pulling back from my work. I was pulling back from friendships. I didn't like being around people because I felt like I was like a shell of myself. So I was like, I'd rather know you don't feel see like me. yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fucked up my and relationship. You probably don't have any fucking energy. Right. Because it's yeah. not taxing on your mind and your body. You don't have any energy to like help fix your body right now, let alone put energy into other people. Yeah, that makes it makes so much sense. And I can imagine that Oof. anyone who's listening who's dealt with chronic sickness or illnesses mm -hmm. that have like, really affected their lives can relate to the, the challenge here. Um, and by the fall, I had just reached, I'm talking like four or five months ago, right? By the fall, I reached this point where I was just like, my self-worth was so shot because I felt like oh. such a fake. I felt like such a fake, you know, because I'm, I'm yeah. doing these talks and preaching about meditation when I just feel, I feel like so unembodied in that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just pulled back from it all. So my self-doubt, my self-doubt was probably at an all time low. Mm. And I really started to convince myself that I'm just not good at the work that I do. And I'm like, it's just a matter of time until everybody realizes that I've somehow like tricked, tricked. and yeah. used my charisma to get my way to this place of being recognized as like a leader through the things that I do, but it's coming to an end. And the more that I told myself that I wasn't actually qualified or that I didn't deserve what I brought into my world, the more I found evidence for that to be true. And the more I really right. started to create that Speaking reality. It out, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. My work was slowing down. I was doing talks where like less and less people were showing up and this kind of stuff always ebbs and flows, but I was really focused on this one story. And I reached this point by the end of 2021 where I was just at such a low point where I just felt like, well, shit, I'm going to have to figure out like what's next. Like I'm going to have to like, maybe I'll go into real estate. I got to like figure out like, I got to find a whole new thing here. Shit. I'm going to have yeah. to move out of my, my beautiful home. I finally moved to a you know, clean home last year. I'm going to move out of this place. I'm not going to be able to afford it. All that kind of shit was coming up. All those intrusive slippery yeah. slopes. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I had this like kind of shift, this moment where I was sitting on my couch. It was like early December, a couple months ago, I was feeling quite low and I was meditating. I came out of my meditation. I was like, man, I had a choice. I have a choice. Really, I have a choice to make here. I'm like, I can start to choose to appreciate the things that really are beautiful in my world. And so start to appreciate the beautiful home that I live in. I start to appreciate the friends and the family, the people that believe in me. I have a choice to start to believe what they say about me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And know that I'm moving through this for an important reason that's becoming clear, or I can continue in with this story 
that everything's fucked and I will continue to create that reality for myself. And I know that it's one thing to intellectualize the concepts of gratitude. This happens a lot in wellness, especially mm-hmm. in mental health. Oh, you're, mm-hmm. you're feeling depressed. Just be grateful. Look at how good your life is. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is, this is not always something that we're able to feel. It's, it's, it's an intellectual concept that sometimes stays in the brain, but when we feel it in the body, it's powerful. And for whatever reason on this day, I felt it move through my body. Wow. And I was like, Oh shit. I was like, I have a choice. I can continue with these self-limiting beliefs, or when that comes up, I can start to focus on the things that I'm actually proud of about myself, the progress that I have made, the things that are good in my life. And the shift started to occur. And about a month later, I was, I don't think I'd ever been more in a place of love for myself. It was like this drastic shift occurred where I was like, oh shit, I needed to have all of my shit pulled away from me, right? Like being on tour with Oprah, Everything's yep. big with the Your big quiet. It's like literally yeah. the word big is in it. And yeah. I very much yeah. hyper identify with sold out crowds and arenas and big talent and talent well, fees and music. this and that. Like that's, that's even layered. Well, too. it's just like yeah. constant validation. Like yeah. being totally. kind of thrown at totally. you. Totally. Yeah. And then, and then I, I put myself in an experience where there was no external shit you had to validate for me yourself. to hold on to. And mm-hmm. I, and my girlfriend and I had broken up and I, you know, I was, I was a mess mm-hmm. in that for the second part of that relationship. I mean, based on what I shared with you, you could probably imagine. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I have a no partner. I'm not seeing at that point, I wasn't seeing anybody. It was really like the things that I often feel external like validation from validation from work We're gone. and relationships or dating or whatever, just at a complete standstill. What's up, Mulholland? She's there chiming she in. Is. Sorry. She's <laughs> chiming in on the story. No, but it's true. I feel like that's. It's, I feel like that was an interesting exercise almost for you. Like, I, I hate, listen, listen, I hate when people tell me when I like go through something, they're like, oh, but what a gift. Cause like you came out on the other side of it and I feel myself like inclined that that's what I want to say to you of like, wow, what a gift, but like not a gift because half of it was shitty, but it is like a cool mental exercise when we're looking at it on the other end of like, would you have gotten to the place of like self-love and self-worth that you're at now if you hadn't been forced to almost isolate in that way and not have that constant stream of validation like mm-hmm. coming at you? Right. Well, well, I appreciate you saying that, G, because that is why this all happened. It was two yeah. years of a lot of discomfort, but I realized so much of my work as a leader and as a teacher and someone who's like bringing meditation and teaching meditation, these bigger concepts or whatever, these concepts to the world, so much of what was powering that was the validation I was receiving from my work External. looking cool and feeling big and, you know, right. And that's just not a sustainable way to operate mm-hmm. as a teacher or as a leader that totally. is dedicating their work to service and, and bringing other people into their power. Right. It, it'll last for, for a little while, but what happens any, and this has been my pattern. This has been the case over the five, you know, now almost seven years I've been doing this work is when things slow down, which they always do, it's just nature's process for things to ebb and flow, big waves of exciting opportunities and partnerships and press come in and then things cool off and the oceans chill. And then the next set comes. Mm -hmm. But my pattern over the past several years of doing this work is I feel great when the waves hit, when the big Mm -hmm. exciting moments occur in my work or in my relationships, whatever. And then when they cool off, there's no motion in the ocean. I start to panic. And this concept that I've been aware of in the past, I've, I've, I've been aware of, is, is it's not sustainable. That what, what really, I think for like to choose to do this type of work that all of us are doing, and I think probably a lot of listeners here are doing as well, like these alternative paths of dedicating ourselves to doing work that helps people, mm-hmm. ultimately 
for it to flourish and for it to be sustainable it needs to be rooted in why we do it in the first place, which right. is how is what we're doing of service and how is it serving a critical need to the time right now? That's one part of it. And the other part of it is I am so fucking great just because I'm alive, just because I'm yeah. in this body. And there's so much joy to access if we're able to come from that place of it's just a gift to be alive and to be me. And all the imperfections and things that have made me me are so beautiful and powerful. If we're able to come from that place of accessing inner joy just because we are who we are, we can bring that joy to our work. We can bring that joy to our relationships. And that's, that's very different than getting joy from work or getting joy from relationships. Yeah. It's bringing it to those things. That's sustainable. And I needed, to, I needed to go the there. Choice. It's also the choice you made, though, because I think that's something that, like you said, like that people can slap a band-aid of gratitude over someone's mental health issues and be like, just feel gratitude and get better. But I think the important thing that you said, because I, I just relate to that so much, is I, I, I always say I would choose the or. Like if something bad happens, I can choose to go into this spiral and feel awful or like, I don't care what the other option is. I want to do it. Like mm. I'd rather figure out that I always choose the or. Mm. And I think that's the important point is that it's a prep, just like meditation. It's a practice. You have to wake up every day and be like, I'm going to fucking choose that or today. And it's going to be hard, but guess what? That route doesn't look any better. But I like just figure out that. whatever strength I have to choose this one, you know? That's but, sick. I love that concept. Yeah. You Meadow taught me that. Meadow, that was one of the first things you ever taught me. Like, in our well, you know why? Which we have to tell Jesse about Anna Maria. So we, Gabby and I talk about this girl, Anna Maria, who um, like speaks to your angels and your highest self. And we've had a handful of friends go and just had the most monumental experiences ever. But one of the pieces of homework she gave me was to like meditate on where I have a lot of early childhood trauma and it was like meditate on where I drew my strength from. And the more and more I've been thinking of it, that's what comes up. It's always just like the active practice to choose the or. But I like but, what you said earlier, Jesse, about like, I feel like that's an interesting way to reframe gratitude because it's about like choosing yeah. yourself and that being in your own body should is enough. And I feel like we, sometimes when we talk about gratitude, right, we're like, we get so caught up in the like, I've done it when I've had like my little gratitude journal where I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, making the notes and I'm like, oh, because it's pretty outside. And like that stuff doesn't always feel fulfilling. It's like, it's exactly that. It's tapping into the gratitude of like just existing within your own body because how fucking cool is it that you get to be you yeah. and that teaches and it's like you're you're building that muscle of of self-love yeah in if, that way that's it if we're able to re not intellectually but actually feel into that mm -hmm. concept there that you just described if we can actually be in that place of wow just being alive is such a gift Mm -hmm. And all of these things that are in my life are beautiful gifts. If we can come from that place, life is so good. Mm -hmm. And part of what's really challenging about living in this day and age today, and I think part of what's really challenging about social media, is it is so tough to maintain that inner sense of being because it's so easy to feel like we are behind. We don't have enough. Other people have got it better. Other people have better lives than us. We're, I think as a, as a, as a society, so focused on achievement and followers and subscribers and all the things that we relate to and identify with as feeling good or qualified in the world. And those things are all awesome and important. But if we are relying on these things for our sense of self-worth, mm -hmm. this is challenging. And I think a lot of the mental health stuff that we see in our society comes from 
the insustainability of relying on external validators to feel a sense of goodness or happiness in the world. Mm -hmm. But if we're able to practice, and this is a pretty extensive practice, but this is also the foundation of meditation. If we are able to come from a place of loving ourselves purely and truly just for who we are, for our experiences, for the lives that we live, for the unique paths that are our own unique paths, if we're able to come from that place, life is incredibly beautiful. And from that place, it's crazy what we call in. When we're in that place of joy, it's just what comes to us is really insane. Mahal feels it too. <laughs> yeah, I was so okay. This is from last year when we talked. We, you and I, always kind of say this without saying it in our conversations. But because today is two twenty two twenty two, I feel like you and I a lot of the time will reference kind of like big picture manifestation stuff mm. and this whole idea of when you honor your self worth. In that way, you you're in the place to call things in and draw things in because when you show to the world that you have self worth, the world responds with other. Well, you attract what you put out. You, That's and right. You attract what you put out. But I wanted because we had never like openly addressed it. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about manifestation on this manifestation day, and particularly <laughs> one because you had a very cool um you on the you talked with Lindsay on We Met at Acne a couple of years ago, who's also been on the pod and had a very oh, cool. cool sex talk. And I recently have been talking with my one friend a lot about manifesting after you orgasm and Mm. how that's supposed to be like a sacred portal. So one, Mm. I want to talk about manifestation and two, I'm curious if you've ever gone that route and what your experience has been like. Or like sex magic because it's not just, it doesn't have to be alone. It doesn't have to be alone. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. When you orgasm like with a partner alone, whatever. But people always talk about that being like a special time to manifest. Mm. Yeah, I've just been hearing more about that concept too. I love that. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's life force. I mean- you think about what comes from that place of, of release, new life, you create, manif- and man- yeah, life. it's creation yeah. and that's manifestation. So I understand yeah. like the concept of that superpower in there that happens. Um, and for me, you know, I've been thinking so much about this lately. I'm so glad you asked. Also, I love your two, two, two necklace. Thank you. It's my goal <laughs> this year to a lot of manifestation and like sacral chakra stuff, which is ironic because that's like your uterus and about sex is a lot of what um, is my big goal of what I want to heal this year. Yeah, I already told Meno mm. I'm moving into her uterus because she's literally making it like the <laughs> safest place on planet Earth. Like this girl, all her mission yeah, is yeah, right actually. now is she's just like fucking healing her sacral chakra. And I'm like, can I come over? Can we well, hang both out? Of us have, both of us have a lot of, we told you in Gabby's Unpacking, we both have sexual trauma in our past. And so that's like a lot of stuff that I think we're still working through. And my partner and I both lost our parents really young. So we both want to have kids like yesterday because we know what it's like to lose a parent. So we want to be with our kids forever. Mm. And so I'm like, I would like to energetically and spiritually heal up some of that stuff before I like bring a life into that space. You're literally going to shoot out a fairy. I swear to God. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I know it. I know it. I mean, that's the goal, honestly. <laughs> okay. Any anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, talk have to us about you, your manifestation thoughts. What? Have you explored any um, chanting work uh, using the voice to open up the chakras? Bitch. Anna Maria <sighs> told me that this year my homework is to do sacral toning. The only thing yeah. I've done is I've done to I've gone to a couple um, Buddhism things and meditated with the uh, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo kind of like chants but I've never mm. done chakra vocal toning. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to Marin Azoff who specializes in this work. Who's writing it down next level. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I've had the gift of working with Marin a bit. Um, and this is what she specializes in. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a form of vocal transformation work. You spend a certain amount of time repeating a chant that activates the body, the chakras, the vagal nerve. And yes. it's very yeah. opening and empowering. It starts with the root and it moves its, and you move your way up over the course of okay. time. Cool. And uh, so check her out. She's sweet. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait. Thank you. I think it'll line up with the work you're doing. Yeah. Sounds like it. But yeah, with the manifesting stuff, um, the manifestation stuff, it's so interesting to me because I, what I, what really, what I saw in the second half of 2021 was my um, incredible ability to manif to manifest myself. Mm, <laughs> listen, <laughs> a concept we don't talk oh, often enough about. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I realized that we are so powerful. Like yeah. we talked about earlier, we find evidence for the things that we choose to believe. Totally. And the more I gave into my, my limiting beliefs in those stories, mm -hmm. the more I created that reality, the more I made that real for me. And that was a really important lesson. And I'm still, um, by the way, oh, I, we didn't even get to like actually say what I'm unpacking because what, oh, what, 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 no, 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 it's all good. Cause I just, I just realized it. Cause, cause what I'm unpacking right now is having moved back into this place of love for myself mm. and that place of being, and it's how I, I would re refer to it, just mm. feeling really stabilized in being Jesse. Now I'm like, Ooh, there's a lot of shit I learned from that 2021 experience and from 2020. There's a lot of mana fucking that I did. And I'm, I'm yeah. kind of like, I'm sorting unpacking and kind of fixing that stuff up yeah. and creating a new foundation for what I really give myself to next. I'm, I'm very much in that foundation. I'm not like yeah. back. I'm like, Jesse's back doing his thing. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. All the new projects. I'm still in this place of kind of making sense of what I did last year and, and what that, what that led to and, and how I can heal from that and then create a foundation for what comes next. That's the place I'm in right now. It's a nice like, rebirth for that. That's what I was going to say. Like, there's no such thing as going back to the old Jesse because the old Jesse hadn't had this dark night of the soul that's coming out with these new lessons. Totally. You know what exactly. I mean? So even how you step forward is going to be so different. Do you think totally. this is so interesting? I talk to people about this a lot, but Gabby, I don't think we've, at, we've talked about this on the podcast and I'd like both of you to answer. Do you think that, I mean, above personal experience, do you think that in general, like big blanket statements that people have to go through some form of a rock bottom in order to truly like find their truest self or like have the biggest spiritual journey? Hmm. And that hard. Yeah, because it's like, obviously, we're speaking, and you said not to speak in personal, right? Because it's like all the personal because stories every time that I, I know and all the personal stories that have happened to me, it's like, kind of. Yeah. Because I think- But then no one wants to generalize it, but I kind of think you kind of have to. I don't know, I but I don't going. even know. I also know people where there's situations where, like I have friends in my life that are deeply self-aware, but they mm -hmm. live in that self-awareness hell where they don't do anything about it. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Where they're like yes. self-aware. And I literally had a friend tell me like self-awareness means nothing. It means nothing because what am I going to fucking do with this? So much. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Recognize the patterns and change them? <laughs> right. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think it, I think more than having like a dark night of the soul, the way that Meadow says it, I think it's, it's more of actively choosing to make a shift in your life and like actively choosing mm. the or 
of what you're saying. And it, it doesn't, people don't necessarily have to go through a dark night in order to have the realization to choose the or. Like, I want to say no, because I'm like, right. that's kind of sad, but, right. but also like builds, you know, builds a little something in you. I don't know. Jesse, what do you think? Yeah. I think that for a lot of us, we have these periods where we have to hit rock bottom to really get the message kind of smashed over our heads. Right. But then as we continue to grow and learn from, and hopefully learn from patterns and experiences in our lives, we reach a point where we don't have to hit rock bottom to learn the lesson because if the self-awareness is dialed and self-awareness allows us to choose the or, we can mm-hmm. come to that place sooner. And I think the more we live our lives, the more we really focus on being embodied in the things that we learn and experience, the, more, the less that happens, the less we have to hit rock bottom to learn and the sooner we're able to just learn from the experience yeah, um, and embody it quicker. I yeah. think that just happens with time. Is that something and I think all people are different. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. You know, I often, I oftentimes hit that rock bottom to really learn the lesson, but also what I find is that by hitting a rock bottom experience, I'm less likely to need to go to rock bottom next time. Yes. Because exactly. I'm able to catch it and catch myself and my pattern yes. sooner. Right. Mm. What were you going to say, um, Gabby? That oh, I was sorry. just going to say if that's like a part of, you know, what he's hoping to accomplish. Because, I mean, we were just talking about your uterus and like children. And that's something that I always think about is like, so something that I did um, like three years ago. And I don't, have you heard of the Hoffman process? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did Hoffman process when I was like 22. It was like right when I graduated college, I went and did that that summer. And so I always go, and people on here have heard me talk about it a hundred million times, but I always think about that concept and it just always makes me think about like my future children and like the way that we're going to like inevitably fuck them up in some way or another. And I think about that, that concept of like allowing your kids to sort of learn from themselves. Like what's, Mm. what's the boundary of allowing them to learn, but also like setting enough of a foundation that they that they can catch themselves, that they don't need They'll to have hit the that tools. rock bottom. They'll have the tools yeah. in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you bring this this point up in regards to lineage and 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 kids and parents, and because the big breakthrough that I had, one of the maybe the biggest breakthrough I had with the experience that I described from last year was when I was stuck in these in these these self doubt, this like self doubt story and the self worship. I wound up. A uh, life coach I'm I'm working with suggested that I talk to my parents about some of this stuff, hmm. and um, I asked I interviewed my parents about their and you own said you relationships were close too, right? You're close already close. in general. Yeah. yeah, so I felt comfortable doing this, but I asked my oh. parents about how self doubt and issues of self worth have shown up for them in their lives and their parents' lives, and also how they've seen it in me throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And in the conversation, I realized that all the shit that I, I was going through and that I have been through on and off, through, especially throughout my careers as an adult. It's all stuff that my parents go through and it's all the same stories, almost to a T. Wow. Um, the hyper identification with work as a means of feeling good about myself and self-worth coming from my dad mm. and um, I identify. The, Great challenge of being able to actually believe that I'm good at what I do, even though I have all this proof around me. I still think that I oftentimes still think that I'm fooling people. Mm-hmm. Comes from my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, my parents have been you got the living whammy. this stuff. 
I feel we all like, do. yeah, we all do. We all do. Yeah. Wow. You know, I had, I, it was a big realization. Yeah. And, and how cool that they were that open with you to help you guys all unpack that together though. I feel like that's such a powerful thing as a family to notice the same patterns. It, yes, absolutely. And I feel so grateful for that. And it was a big breakthrough for me because I realized, oh shit, so much of this stuff is just a story that's been passed down in my family mm. lineage. Probably come from my grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. Jews growing up a couple generations back, you know, there's there's definitely shit that gets passed down mm-hmm. in regards to not feeling good enough, not feeling mm-hmm. worthy. I mean, it's in my it's in that my family's lineage trauma. for sure. Yeah. So absolutely. when I realized that, I was like, oh shit. And by the way, I was like, this isn't a reason for me to go, well, yes, this is why I feel this way. So anytime I feel self-worth, self-doubt issues, you go, oh, it's just in my family, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we probably all know what it's like. This happens a lot in mental health space yeah. to over-identify with our challenges. It, was, it wasn't that for me. It was, oh, shit, this is a story that's been passed down in my lineage that I've brought into my life. And now that I'm aware of it, it's time to end it. Exactly. It's time to hear and- it. Yeah, close it out. And I think that a big part of how we do that is just by bringing the awareness to it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, then I think what we're able to do is end it so our kids don't bring those beliefs forward. Don't bring that. Don't, don't, they don't bring those traits forward. And but we can that, change it for our future generations. It also takes a lot of. Um, I was talking about this recently with my mom, like the concept of like it also takes a lot out of us to then be like, okay, I'm going to embark on that journey because the three of us can sit here and say, that sounds great. Like that, that is such a thing. We met when I talk about generational trauma a lot. Like I come from both my parents are Cuban immigrants. Like there's been a lot of tragedies with the women in my family and like the way that we've healed that. And we talk about it a lot as a family, but then like actually embarking on it seems like such a giant task to take on And I wonder what you would have to say to people who it might not even be a generational thing, right? Of like, they're stepping into therapy or they're scared to go into therapy or, or meditate because they're scared to be alone with their own thoughts because it's the task of just taking that step seems so exhausting that they just don't want to do it. Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, that's real. I mean, I think that for those of us that have access to therapists or coaches or people who specialize in helping us explore this stuff that when we feel ready to lean into it and we have the guidance of someone else a professional to help us through it that it's very much of value but i think that having having a professional or having access to a professional to help us through it is is a really important piece because unpacking this stuff i mean i'm talking about unpacking self-doubt and you know, limiting self-belief. And I can hold an honor that that's real and serious for me. But I know that that's like top of the surface when it comes to the type of traumas and experiences that other people have had. Um, that there's you know varying degrees of how deep these things can go mm-hmm. and how scary and uncomfortable and challenging it can be to want to lean into that. So I think what you're saying, G, is very valid. It's very real. And it's also important when we consider doing this type of work that we do it slowly we're gentle with ourselves. We can do it ideally with people that we feel safe mm-hmm. with guiding us through that process, but that this is an option for us to explore. This is something that we can explore and it's a very real thing. I never took the, these concepts seriously, this generational stuff seriously until recently. 
Wow. It's also easier with peers. I think that's why you're such a good community organizer. You know what I mean? It's easier to go through. It's the peer support model. It's you can do all this work with a professional that's that safe space where they're trained to kind of help guide you through this. But when you leave and can come back to like a group of friends sitting down and eating tacos and then talking about how you're healing and different stuff you're working on, like you, it, that feeling of being less alone, I think helps bring you strength that you're, you're all in it together. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Having other people in our lives that we can share about our challenges with, be heard and seen and realize that other people go through it as well. I mean, this is so healing and something that um, if we don't have access to in our lives, I believe that we are all capable of creating spaces like that yeah. where, we, where, we, where we can go and have that experience. That's, a, that's different than having a professional support us through yes. a process of, a, of unpacking family trauma or family lineage stuff. But you're right, Meta, like that, that as a step is so valuable and so healing. And it's so baked into our DNA. Mm -hmm. We're so designed to have that because oh we gosh. always did in tribes. Yeah, for sure. I was listening to one of your things on YouTube and I was like, I got to talk to him about sapiens. I feel like it's right up your alley. Yeah. yeah we have a ton. Book. Honestly, it's we're already doing this for almost an hour. We had so many questions for you about community building that we're not mm. even going to be able to get into today. So I'm already going to need you to come back because <laughs> <laughs> I really want to do, I wanted to do a quick like meditation 101 and like a Jesse's kind of quick guide. Well, we can do it. We can do a community question before we have time. I didn't even answer do the you... manifesting question. Oh but... yeah. Wait, wait. Oh, my gosh. First we yeah, did the wait. manifest. Listen, <laughs> oh, my God. this is why we ask for an hour and a half on the calendar. Okay. Yeah, we, we need you back. Jesse. You need, we to, need to answer okay. the manifesting question. Do you manifest it first? And then we're going to ask you a community question. And then Meadow has some rapid fire meditation questions. Keeping <laughs> right, us on cool, track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was saying before was the way that I manifest myself in 2021 was such a great lesson in manifesting and the things that I really pulled from it when it comes to, the things that I don't want to manifest, but the things that I want to manifest, I realized, and you already touched on this, Meadow, um, it's pretty tough, maybe almost impossible to manifest something if we're not able to feel in our bodies that we can bring it to life, that we can't feel in our bodies that it's something that we can actually do and that we're, that we're qualified to do in the world. And if we don't have the self-worth or not the sense of self-worth to feel like we deserve to create this thing, it's very tough to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people will play with these concepts of manifest, this concepts of manifesting affirmations, saying certain things and just kind of saying them out loud, hoping that they're going to come to life because they're saying them or journaling them. But foundational to it is one, a strong sense of self-worth. Right. Really, really needing to believe that we deserve what we want. Mm -hmm. That is such a critical piece to it. And, and if, if that's not there, then I encourage people to look at that before they try manifesting. For so sure. important, that self-worth piece. For sure. hundred percent. Right. Because you're going to accidentally manifest yourself. Yeah. Like you, or it just becomes wasteful or it just becomes wasteful yeah. time trying to manifest when we don't actually believe that we deserve that's it. That's where it gets toxic. That's where it gets a little secrety. And a little, yes. you know, yeah, which is a little bit toxic and outdated, quite frankly. Yes. And then that other, that other critical piece is really focusing on how we want to feel. This might be more important than any other piece. Well, I think the self-worth piece is, is, is foundational, but almost more so than, you know, having that job or landing that partnership or getting whatever that thing is, um, really 
paying attention to how it feels in the body to bring to life this thing that we want to manifest. Mm -hmm. We can feel it in our bodies at a cellular level. We can create it a hundred percent. And, you know, I was, I was getting this little taste of it when, um, before we go on stage, the big quiet team and I, it's usually Jackie who plays sound balls for the big quiet. She's the best. Shout out Jackie. Yeah. I love her sound, her sound meditations. Jackie Cantwell is great. Yeah. Um, before we'd go on stage for big quiets, and this was particularly powerful, uh, before the, the, um, when we were on tour with Oprah together, we would be backstage five minutes before Oprah would call us out. And these arenas of sold out people, we're about to go on stage with 15,000 people. And that's nerve wracking. Jackie and I would be backstage and we would do this practice, which is very much lined up with what we're talking about right here, where we would close our eyes and we would say to each other how we feel when we're on stage. Like we're thinking five minutes into the future, but we're speaking it like it's in the present. I feel at ease. I feel spaciousness. I feel that I'm connecting with everyone in the arena, right? Like whatever, we're just kind of naming the things that we, that we want to feel that we're feeling when we're up there. And we say it out loud to each other, but as we say it, we're actually paying attention to what it feels like in our bodies to feel that way. And then when it's time to get called out and we go up there, we walk out on stage, our body just a few minutes before was feeling what it felt like to feel all those things. So wow. we're just, it, the body just ready to step right into it. So when we get out there, boom, we're activating it and bringing it to life. Each one of those tour stops, we felt the way that we saw ourselves feeling five minutes before we got on stage because we create it in our bodies, we create it in our reality. And it just makes it that much easier to step into it. There's a, and that's a great practice. That's a great practice. Anything we ever do from now on. <laughs> it's, it's a great yeah, practice totally. for podcasts, for interviews, for talks, for important meetings, for dates, whatever we might be nervous about or, you know, feeling that around. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I think that the self-worth and the feel it piece is so foundational. If we can dial those things in or figure out what's blocking us in regards to self-worth and feeling it first, then we can manifest whatever we want. And then the other piece that often gets overlooked, I think, when it comes to manifesting is why, why Mm -hmm. we want to call this thing in. And Mm -hmm. How, by calling this thing in, how is it going to actually be of service to the, the, the most pressing needs of our time right now? I think that part's really important because I believe that the greater power su- really supports the things that we want to bring to life in our lives that actually serve the needs of our time. And when we can get clear about that, manifesting gets really powerful. Yeah. Oh, wow. Meadow and I, like sitting here quiet, we're like, Oh wow, this doesn't happen often. <laughs> this I know true. This is was actually one of my rapid fire ideas, but I I, I want to ask you now for people that I don't know. I guess I think more about the body piece of it. So creating that space to kind of know in your body and feel that energy in your body and having that self awareness and mindfulness to think through these things. Do you find that one the best way to do that is meditation, and two what like advice or guidance would you give to people that maybe don't know or don't trust how to listen to their body Mm. or people Mm. with unhealthy relationships with their body that don't necessarily trust themselves and understand what that looks like or what to feel or how to start? Mm. Yeah, I find that I think the, the elements that are most important there are around the things that we can do to really help ease our nervous systems. I think mm. oftentimes when that's happening, it's because our nervous systems are 
feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I believe that like when our nervous systems are, are in their natural balanced state, uh, it's, it's much easier to just feel into who we are and feel that sense of pure self. And it's tough to feel that because there is so much information that we're processing. There's so much that we're getting hit with in this day and age. And, and our, our body is designed to like run from dinosaurs, not to just take on ongoing stress and microaggressions and work deadlines yeah. and constant communication. Totally. Like we're not designed to have that constant level of cortisol. Like what? <laughs> totally. Yeah. There, you know, the, my teacher, Johnny Pollard put out this book called the, um, the golden sequence. It's a great book. And then he talks about, um, talks a lot about well, how we lived in tribes and how, drastically different our worlds are now in, in over the course of just about 10 to 15,000 years. And that's not enough time for the body to have biologically evolved to meet the demands of the time. So our systems are really designed to show up like we showed up living in tribes. When we lived in tribes, the amount of information that we would process in our entire lives is equivalent to the amount of information we process in one day in 2022, Shut no which way. is crazy stat. Damn, that's that's in that poor bodies. I know. And with time, like a lot of time, we're we're going to biologically evolve to a point where we'll be able to take on a lot more. But that's like generations and generations and generations away. Right now, we still have tribal tribal bodies and minds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we're and we're living in this day and age where we're just taking on an an amount of stimuli and, and, and information that we're processing that it's completely unsustainable. Yeah. Um, but to me, the solution isn't about hiding from the world. To me, the solution isn't about not having phones and, you know, cutting off from mm -hmm. technology uh, that might, that might work for some people. And I think that can be really beautiful for some people, but I think that there is a middle ground mm -hmm. and it's about really getting clear about what the practices are that we can bring into our lives. I mean, I'm talking about actively applying self-discipline to bring these practices into our lives so that we can meet the demands of the world today. For me, the way that I think of wellness or well-being, this word that gets thrown around all the time, for me, well-being is when we have the resources and capacity to meet the demands of our time. So what can we do to really build out those resources and really have that capacity to show up for everything that the world throws at us and not have it cover us, but have us actually show up for it and address mm -hmm. it and respond to it instead of stressfully react to it. So this really does start with to what extent are we dedicating ourselves with a sense of self-discipline to start to build those resources? Because if we are not willing to take responsibility for our own well-being, this shit will knock us down. <laughs> and no one can so, do it but you. Ultimately, exactly. and we can have, we can hire people to help us. And there's tons of great resources to create the gateways. And mm -hmm, a lot of the mm -hmm. for a lot of these things, we need to be taught. We need education. So I'm yes. not just expecting people to do it on their own, but just to show up and download that app and actually do it every day or whatever it is. Or to, you know, take a course with me or the Big Quiet team and learn how to meditate, whatever these things are, it does ultimately start with the person. So I think part of it is really coming back into our power. And I'm not, I, I, I never want to belittle someone's um, 
traumas or someone's challenges because all of that stuff is so fucking valid and so real. And we also need to be in our power and say, I'm taking responsibility for my well-being and these are the things that I am going to focus on or just start trying to look at how I can bring my nervous system back down to a regulated state and start to be able to show up and meet the demands of the world. So I think that that's going to look different for everybody. And part of it is just the process of trying. You know, I'm 37 years old and I've... Go ahead. You're 37? Mm -hmm. Babe, your skin looks so good. Thank you. I do have a ring light on. I literally thought you were He's got a ring light. He's he's going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm still figuring out what what this looks like for me. And this is like my work. You know, I get paid to talk to people about this stuff. I'm still figuring out. But I know that for me... The things, to go back to your question, the things that really help me come back, that allow me to feel, the things that allow me to move into my body. First and foremost, for me, it's about, it's about having some sense of community in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, that doesn't necessarily mean having a shit ton of friends or going to parties every night, but just having those few people that I can go to and communicate what's really going on and feel like they will hear me and be there for me, and that I can do the same for them. That piece that I can do the same for them is just as important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so actively finding those people and and investing in, in those friendships and those dynamics is so is so foundational for me. That's why Quality I love quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people are, are able to, to hold that with lots of people, but that's that, I find that that can be overwhelming. Um, but that that community piece, I think, is really important for us to feel safe in our bodies and for us to feel like we can go into feeling what's what's real for us in our bodies. And then have and and I would refer to that as kind of like the social practices, right? It's mm-hmm. like what are the mm-hmm. things that we can do with friends, with family, with community? And then the self practices for me, it's the meditation every day, twice a day is what I do. It's breath work. You I do morning and before bed, middle of the day? What no, I do morning second? and afternoon or early evening. Like anytime before dinner, I get my second one in. Yeah. Um, breath After work, work I've been finding really evening. helpful. Sometimes, sometimes I'll do it. I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll do it while I'm still at work, you know, at 3 p.m. Work. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the second one, yeah. And then, um, yeah, the breath work piece that I've been finding to be really, really valuable. And there's some great apps out there that guide people through this. The breath work app is great. I've been loving the Wim Hof app. I um, am going love to Wim Hof on, over here on this pod. Yeah. On Thursday, uh, I, a friend of a friend trained under Wim Hof and then developed his own practice. That's supposed to be less anxiety inducing, but mm. still with the same benefits, but less kind of like trauma responsy. Cool. I'm going this Thursday with a friend. Oh, sweet. I'm curious yeah. to hear that that's goes. Exciting. Yeah, it, I'll it, let you know. It, it can I be know. intense. Wow. Meadow, that our, sounds our really Thursdays cool. are going to be very different. <laughs> Meadow's going to Wait. Wim Hof and I'm going to a Bad Bunny concert. That's oh. the difference in <laughs> Thursdays. This Thursday. <laughs> That's awesome. Both healing, so but fun. in different ways, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, anyway, and, Meadow. Yeah, and the last thing I was going to say with that is also, mo- is also moving my body every day. Yeah. So easy not to in this day yeah. and age. Oh, it yeah. Is. It's so easy for the extent of it to be like moving the body from the bed to the kitchen, to the office yep. chair, to totally. the Zoom call, to, right? But even if it's a walk, like this stuff helps. Mm-hmm. And the last one that I'll share, I mean, like we talked forever about this stuff, but the last one that I'll share, which I think I, I think a lot of us have access to, is getting direct sunlight every day yeah. for a short period of time. Do you for me, do it's, it's 20 in the minutes. Morning? Do you try to do yeah, it like within to the get first that two hours or whatever? Noon. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, yeah. They, I've been hearing more and more if you get it in, like right when you wake up, it's like better Me for too. your circadian rhythm and better for sleep. Oh, nice. But I, I don't nice usually one. do it right when I wake up. I usually just, I usually try to get it before noon. Before but noon. But I just find that getting that direct sun every day, especially with how much time we spend inside, is just like so alive. Huge. Oh, yeah. We're just little plants. Like sometimes yeah. you just need rest and water and sunshine. Right. To like be with the Real. fellow flowers, you know? <laughs> I think, Jesse, I think you're a really beautiful example of reminding people that you're supposed to be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Like whether it's with meditation or your self-worth or your identity tied to your career or like whatever it is, I think you really lead by example and showing that being gentle with yourself is not a weakness. Mm. You know what I mean? Thanks for saying And it's that. also very interesting that I, it's very interesting to equate I mean, this is kind of heteronormative of me, but it is kind of interesting to equate gentleness with a man and masculinity. And I think mm-hmm. you like, I think that's it makes it even that much more profound. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. You know I, mean? I mean, you and I might talk about that all the time. Yeah. We, Gabby and I love to talk about feminine and masculine energies and like how we feel them and what comes up for us in different ways and like how identities are like tied to when you present different energies and all that. But jazz. there's something to be said about. Now we're just like complimenting Jesse. There's something to be said about like <laughs> particularly a, a man who is not only able to tap into that gentleness, right? And that vulnerability and say like, no, this doesn't make me weak. But then also somebody who is a leader that is not afraid to lead openly telling people I don't have all the answers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's rare. I feel like I feel like as mm-hmm. women – and Meadow, I can all speak for myself. You can say if you feel this way too. Like I'm sure when I've been in environments where um, there's a male leader, it's very much like, do what I say. I know what's mm-hmm. going on. I've got the answers. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare when you see that in a man. And I feel like I it's a testament to the type yeah. of community that you're building. And it shows why yeah. people show up for you because they feel yeah. they feel safe. They feel validated. They feel They feel heard. And they feel safe to learn in real time with you. Mm-hmm. Mm. thanks g for saying that you know i go i always go back to actually something that Brene brown says mm. in uh her daring greatly bo- book part of what i love about that book and her work in general around vulnerability is it's just like reframing vulnerability as this like soft weak thing and and and, and instead seeing it as a way to access power and courage she talks about a study that was done where there were they, they, they I think it's called the um, snowball effect. Um, it was a study that was done where they looked at leaders who were doing sort of like the traditional, like kind of patriarchal, like machismo leadership of, um, of uh, uh, like, I always have the answers. I always know, do what I say. And they were looking at leaders who um, were applying vulnerability to how they led their groups, oftentimes really just communicating where they were at. And what they saw was that the leaders who were willing to be vulnerable in their leadership, again, scar-based vulnerable leadership, not mm-hmm. moon-based, but mm-hmm. the leaders who were willing to be vulnerable, what they saw was that their followings grew and that they were a lot more effective with calling people into action. And the reason why is because being vulnerable as a leader is a form of courage and people respond more to courage than they do to uh, a sort of certainty or a scarcity mm. that can come mm. from that other way. So I think about this too, when it comes to manhood 
Um, you know, I'm someone that is ultimately holds a lot of masculine energy and I hold more masculine than feminine and my partnerships, especially my romantic partnerships, um, I find are most alive and electric when I'm with a, when I'm with a woman who holds more feminine than masculine. This is just, you know, my, the makeup that I've seen has worked best for me. Everybody's different. And I've had issues. I've had challenges in the past where I've been like, Oh, if I'm, if I'm always talking about emotions and being vulnerable and gentleness and compassion, well, that may, that'll make me too much in my feminine. That'll make me too soft. Mm-hmm. And I realized kind of early on that, um, accessing vulnerability, accessing a more gentle way to speak to myself, right? All of, all of these practices that we're talking about here, being in my emotions, noticing what I'm feeling and naming them. Ultimately, what these practices do is they bring me more into a place of power with myself. Mm. Ultimately, they're gateways for me to really just feel rooted and strengthened into who I am as Jesse. Mm. And when I'm in that place, for me, it's an incredibly masculine, rooted into the earth type of dynamic. I notice that I can use feminine qualities or concepts that might be seen as more feminine to access my masculinity. And I mm. think it's a really meaningful thing for men to consider. And I think that something that will actually help more men because yeah. so many men think that this stuff is soft. Right. And then you're just end up repressing your energy, which we all know never ends well. No. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I want to get you out because I know you have a one PM. I'm already Jesse, we're already roping you into coming back because we have so much to talk to you about. It's not even funny. But I want to do like a very quick like uh get your opinion or stamp of approval for a guide, especially because to just out myself a little bit, I was so on my shit with meditation in the beginning of the pandemic for a while. And I am so off my shit right now that I would love like just gentle refreshers to help me get back in the game as well. So one for people just starting out or getting back into the game, how often should we meditate ideally? Like how, how often per day or per week and at time length in sessions? I recommend a daily practice. I recommend that that daily practice happen first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that the most effective way to meditate, if that's brand new, getting back into your practice, or you've been doing it for years, the most effective way to do it, in my opinion, is to put your phone in airplane mode before you go to sleep or do not disturb. And in the morning, when you wake up, you practice meditation before you go and check your phone. So that means if you mm-hmm. use your phone as an alarm, mm-hmm. if it's in do not disturb or airplane mode, you won't see the notifications that come in mm-hmm. when you turn off your alarm. And this is very important to not have all of the notifications and input of the outside world come into your bed with you (laughs) Mm -hmm. or whatever, like the first few minutes Mm -hmm. of your day, right? The politics, the social media, the Mm -hmm. news updates, the new baby being born, all this shit, right? The work stuff. If we can create a little buffer of not accessing that stuff until we've had some time with ourselves and we've got a meditation in at that time, this is very critical and will greatly increase your ability to actually meditate every day if you practice this. Mm. Um, And then when it comes to time, it really depends. You know, just a few minutes is very effective. And the way that I started was by doing three minutes a day, every day. And for me, it was the second I left my bathroom in the morning because every day I use the bathroom when I wake up. The second I left my bathroom, I would sit down and meditate looking Mm. for a cue 
or something that we're already doing, something that already we already do every single day and, and we attach the meditation practice to cool. that is going to greatly increase the chances of us doing it. It's actually how new habits are, are most effectively created is we look at something that already happens and we add that habit to it. So for me, it's just leaving my bathroom every morning, sitting down three minutes, boom. And then once I was able to start to get some regularity with that, probably about a month, and my body started to really yearn for it. If, mm. if you know, afterwards my body was going, oh yeah, that felt good. I want more of that. Then I was able to bring it up to 10 minutes and I was able to bring it up to more. And I know people who just jump right in and start right with 20 minutes a day. Mm. And that totally works too. Mm-hmm. I teach people that will jump right into 20 minutes twice a day sometimes. Wow. And that's totally fine if people feel called to that, right? right. Yeah. Um, so much of it's going to depend on who's teaching you. Are you taking a course and are you learning from me? Are That's you doing question. a meditation app? Yeah. Because you're big on self teaching people to be self-sufficient in their meditation yeah. practice. So can you give a little insight on like vet pro cons of guided, unguided, starting with a teacher learning to be self-sufficient? Yeah. I think that meditation apps, most meditation apps today are awesome because they're gateways. You get a sense of the practice and being guided through a meditation is awesome. And for a lot of people, that's just going to be a preferred way to do it. Have someone guide you through it and you get the benefits. Mm. Um, to me, it's like, you know, the saying, give a person a fish, they can eat for a day. Teach a person how to fish, they can eat for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. To me, the, pra- the, pro- the practice with the meditation app, it's, it's just, it's giving people fish. And that's fine. You know, I, mean, I, actually, I actually think it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, what it means is that you rely on someone else to meditate. So you need to have a phone, you need to have a subscription. Um, you need someone else there. Mm-hmm. And again, there's plenty of benefits that come with having that handholding. And a lot of people, I think, prefer that. Mm-hmm. And then you have some people like myself who reach a point where they feel called to learning how to practice on their own, where it's being taught how to fish, right? Mm-hmm. So we can eat our whole lives sit in for meditations, go for guided meditations, go to classes or enjoy an app here and there. And that's great. But ultimately we can do it on our own anytime, anywhere. There's something really empowering about that. It's also more challenging because you don't have guidance, Mm -hmm. but it's giving a person the knowledge to be self-sufficient. To me, I was taught that the best teachers aren't designed to just always be in someone's life that they're there to empower someone with the knowledge and tools where they can help themselves. And, then- and the self-sufficient practice allows people to do that. Everyone that I teach has access to me forever. So when they have mm-hmm. questions, they can come back to me and I'm always there to support them, but ultimately they don't need to rely on me. And mm-hmm. I, teach, I, teach a, I teach a technique that's the practice that I've been, I've been doing for many years through the Big Quiet. We teach it quarterly. Our next course is in April, if anyone's interested, through the, uh, through the Big Quiet's website. We'll link, but we'll that's link a quick difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now give us a taste. Can we do a Big Quiet 90-second mass meditation? A little mini? A little yeah. mini, please. <laughs> a little mini, please. I need yeah, it. let's do a mini, yeah. Okay. Ben and I are both ready <laughs> I'm like, with our I'm blankets. Sitting like, up. Sitting here. Yeah. Both of us <laughs> in the same blanket. Yeah. <laughs> Legs All right, so crossed. we're going to do, do a real quick one. So what's important for this, for this little quick practice is if you notice that your mind's wandering during it, it's totally normal, very normal. It doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong or that you're bad at it. If you notice that your mind's wandered, just gently come back to my guidance. And if that's what's happening the whole time, totally fine. You're still getting the benefit, actually. 
And if you feel Even relaxed or sleepy, whole time, yep, you're, you're still, still getting, the, getting benefit. the benefit. Totally. Everyone Countless hear that? science shows that. We can talk about that next time. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so you can sit comfortably for this one and close your eyes. And start by taking a breath in through your nose, and filling up your belly, up into your chest, and letting it out. We'll do this again through the nose, into the belly, feeling the air expand into your lungs, gently holding it and letting it out. And one more breath like this through the nose, filling the belly up like a balloon, up into your chest, up into your shoulders holding it for a moment and letting it out and letting your breath return to its natural state. Noticing how your body breathes by itself. Noticing your chest Notice how your chest very gently rises and falls as you breathe at your own rhythm. Notice how your chest just faintly pulses as you breathe. And now, as you feel ready, without any rush at all, you can begin to slowly open your eyes. And we're back. In just a short practice like that, that was maybe 90 seconds, two minutes, something like that. Just a short practice like that, three breaths like that, brings your body's nervous system back to balance. And even if it's just a temporary return, this is a really valuable thing that we can do anytime, anywhere, especially before things that are nerve wracking and when we feel stress or anxiety is heightened. Mm -hmm. I'm going to link your um, 90 second YouTube video too. So people can always come back and watch it. Cause I, I'm telling you, it, it's so I don't, I, you just make everything feel so accessible. Well, yeah, cause it's that's so the thing. Meditate, meditation oftentimes just feels so daunting mm. and you just, I feel like both of our eyes look different when we came back. Gabby. <laughs> both of our eyes are kind of like sleepy and happy. <laughs> we came back like this. It's cool to tap into your body. Even like the, what you were doing in the beginning of like feeling the way that your breath, like literally fills mm -hmm. up to the top. Like you can feel mm -hmm. it. And even just taking that moment to have that mind body connection is really mm -hmm. special. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you thank for talking you. to us. We adore you, all this obviously. Yeah. Oh, this was such a treat. I love, love, love being on the show. I love what the, both, what the two of you are doing. 
Uh, so thank you for having my me. baby. Come <laughs> <back> <laughs> Do you want to yeah, be the third I, host? Like, come on. I in. was like, I have a list of like seven questions I didn't even get to ask you yet. I wanted to ask you what your favorite MGMT song is. I wanted to ask you what Oprah smells like. We no, she talk goes about in. No, you don't understand. We like we're we're going over our prep yesterday, and she's like, so I'm gonna ask him what Oprah smells ask like. I'm just Oprah telling you right like. now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so much too much we could talk about please come back every anytime thank you I would so love much. It. let's do it thank you thank you thank you guys so much for listening to the thoughts Mayberry podcast every monday <laughs>